Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This week on History Bites, we're going to talk about something white, something grainy, something addictive, and something that everyone from kings to peasants to Pablo Escobar have been craving since the beginning of civilization. That's right, we're talking about salt, you drug addicts. Pablo loved to eat, guys. Salt is a condiment, a preservative, and it's half of the best 90s rap female duo, but it's so much more. You may not know this, but you can't actually live without salt. Yes, grandpa needs to cut down on the pickles, but without any salt, your body can't transmit nerve impulses, contract and relax muscle fibers, or maintain proper fluid balance. But yeah, it also makes food taste better, which is all we really care about. Sidebar, did you know that thousands of Napoleon's troops died during the French retreat from Moscow because they both couldn't properly heal wounds and they had massively lowered resistance to disease, all because of a salt deficiency? And what's up with French troops being such wusses? A lack of salt took you out? You laid down for the Nazis? Lucky for you, your salted French butter is untouchable. Also a sidebar, the expression rubbing salt into a wound comes from the idea that back in Napoleon's day, they would rub salt into a wound to disinfect it. Spoiler alert, it wasn't pleasant, but it did stop your limbs from getting spoiled. Okay, that's a lot of Napoleon-related salt facts. Wait, one more. The first two letters of his name are N-A, as in the periodic table designation for sodium. Yes, oh, how I love hanging out in Nerdville, USA. It is my happy place. Now, I have no idea how humans figured out this salt need, but it actually dictated where our early ancestors set up their villages. That's because animals were attracted to salt licks, and humans were attracted to animals, and humans loved killing things and eating them even before Joe Rogan. So they got their salt intake from the meat. I bet all those poor woolly mammoths were like, oh, can't you humans just lick the salt lick like the rest of us? Oh. I imagine that's what they sounded like. Salt licks aside, what really gave salt its blue checkmark status was preservation. It was the Egyptians who were the first to realize the preservation possibilities of salt. Sodium draws the bacteria causing moisture out of foods, drying them and making it possible to store meat without refrigeration for extended periods of time. This innovation led to curing, where we get our prosciutto di parma, our lox, our salami, and the decadent haute cuisine that is a Slim Jim. Not only was salt used for curing animals, it was also used for curing humans. Ugh. That's right, mummies were packed in salt. In fact, when they shipped mummies down the Nile en route to their final resting place, they were taxed in the same way as salted meats. That's right, what the pharaoh's body cost in taxes was his weight in Slim Jims. By the way, if Slim Jim doesn't sponsor this episode, this will be a complete waste of all of our time. Once we figured out we could salt humans, it was only natural to make the leap to fish. Is that natural? 
Anyway, salt ultimately led to the discovery of the new world because salting fish acts as a preservative pre-refrigeration and explorers were able to travel on long journeys without their food rotting. That means no more cannibalism when the fish supplies runs out. Hooray! Just look at the Vikings. Do you think they got powerful by wearing hats with horns and looking savage? No. It was because they had figured out how to salt fish so they could be jacked up on more protein than anyone else and travel longer distances without having to stop. Salted fish was the first creatine. An added bonus, it doesn't cause bacne. Let's take Columbus. I know, he's canceled. Do you think Columbus would have discovered the new world without preservation? I know, he didn't discover it. Native people were there for thousands of years. And yes, I know, Native Americans had pemmican, a precursor to beef jerky, so they probably figured preservation out first. <gasps> Being woke is exhausting. Back to salt. Let's travel to Italy and venture into ancient Rome, where salt really started getting its global bona fides. Now look, you might think salt is a basic bitch today, but back in ancient Rome, people used to get paid with it. That's right, salt was currency. In ancient Rome, Roman soldiers were paid in salt, which is where we get the word salary from. Sal, S-A-L, salt. There's a slight misconception that the origin of the expression, you're not worth your weight in salt, comes from Roman soldiers who were fat, lazy, and stupid, so they were paid less. And they probably use that expression a lot. But the expression is actually way darker. It comes from ancient Greece, where salt was used to buy and sell slaves. <sighs> Oof, it's getting dark. Let's lighten up the mood with a joke. Um, okay, what's the fastest way to massacre snails? Assault rifles. <laughs> get it? Assault rifles? <gasps> oh no, now you're thinking about mass shootings. Let's just get back to the episode. Salt was such a big deal that it helped build empires. The Romans built roads all over Europe because they needed an easy way to trade salt. These roads were called salaria. One of those roads led to a Roman settlement back in the 7th century, which was a hotbed of salt production. That city today is called Salzburg in Austria. The name Salzburg means salt fort, and barges would carry salt along the river Salzach. Not a ton of naming creativity going on, but cities built on salt thrived throughout the Middle Ages. One more though, your salad is also derived from salt. Araba salata translates to salted greens. The expression take it with a grain of salt also dates back to ancient Rome. Pliny the Elder, an ancient Roman philosopher, wrote that salt could be an antidote to poison. Therefore, anything involving poison should be taken with, yep, a grain of salt. Here's a better idea, Pliny. How about don't eat the poison in the first place? Now, if you want even more salt, let's get biblical with it. The Bible's got more salt in it than the frickin' Dead Sea, which ironically is where everyone in the Bible got their salt from. It's one of the saltiest bodies of water in the world, which is why you float in it. Wait, is this how Jesus walked on water? Did I just solve the Bible? Okay, maybe not, but salt is the most mentioned food in the Bible. Suck it, lamb's blood. Remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah from the Old Testament? No, you're not alone. But Lot and his wife are running away from the city of Sodom and God tells them not to turn around and look. But this is the Bible, baby, where the men do the fighting and the women just don't listen like they're supposed to. So Lot's wife turns back and is immediately turned into a pile of salt. Salt-looking animals couldn't have been happier that day. 
Side note, after Lot's wife died, his daughters got him drunk, date-raped him, and had some kids because they couldn't find any other men around to beget with. How is that possible? Every page in this book is about people who be begetting. This dude begot that, that dude begot that, and they begetting with their father? What the hell is happening? There's no salt in this story. Just thought you should know. Speaking of old Jews, let's take a quick look at kosher salt. If something is kosher, it typically means a rabbi said a blessing over some food. But kosher salt is actually a misnomer and a marketing ploy. Salt makers wanting to take advantage of Jewish European immigrants knew that Jewish butchers would kosherize their meat, a process where the butchers would use salt to draw out the blood of the animal. So they slapped the word kosher on normal salt to trick the immigrants. But it was all the same salt. I mean, I can't believe these companies would take advantage of these poor Jewish immigrants like that. What kind of people would stoop so low? Oh wait, the companies were Rokeach and Manischewitz? They were Jews who did this? <sighs> okay, as a Jew, I am offended. However, also as a Jew, I am impressed at the industriousness. I'm very conflicted about my stereotypes. Salt doesn't only figure prominently in the Old Testament. If you're down with JC, then you're down with salt-y foods. <laughs> okay, that didn't work. Let's start with the term salt of the earth, which comes from Matthew 5.13. Yes, I had to look that up. But basically, JC got up on the mount to be all preachy and told the common people they were great. And there was no better compliment back then than calling people salty AF. Of course, in the Middle Ages, salting the earth was less about praising blue-collar workers. In fact, salt was spread on land to poison it as a punishment to landowners who had transgressed against society in some way. Back to the Bible. Let's take a look at Da Vinci's The Last Supper. Judas has just spilled a bowl of salt, which is a sign of bad luck back then. And if you look at the painting, everyone is staring at him all pissed. Even JC is like, Jesus Christ is gonna be eating some tasteless food tonight. That's why when people spill salt today, they throw a bit over their left shoulder to ward off the devil and other crazy shit that might happen. But Da Vinci didn't just make that up. In Buddhist tradition, salt repels evil spirits, which is why it is customary to throw salt over your shoulder before entering your house after a funeral. It scares off any evil spirits that may be clinging to your leg like a relative who just found out you won the lottery. In Shintoism, they also use salt to purify an area. Before sumo wrestlers enter the ring for a match, which is actually an elaborate Shinto rite, a handful of salt is thrown into the center to drive off evil spirits. I mean, if I'm an evil spirit, I probably skip the 400 pound angry sweaty wrestler and go straight for the scrawny guy in the front row, but you do you Shinto ghosts. All right, enough with Sunday school. Let's talk about salt as a status symbol. In the 18th century, if you had salt at the table, you were rich and powerful and probably knew how to party. Was salt the original white powder? Maybe not, but if you were at a dinner party, where you sat in relation to the salt was a huge deal. The salt was always by the head of the table, so if you were north of it, you were important, which is where we get the expression above the salt. If you were a pity invite or place at the kids' table, or you're one of those annoying dinner guests who pulls out his phone to show funny YouTube videos at the table, you sat below the salt. Let's back up a little to the 17th century in France. It was actually Louis XIV who first combined salt and pepper at the dinner table. Well, at a minimum, he made the combo famous. I'm sure some guy combined them beforehand and then complained to his wife till the end of time that Louis XIV stole my idea. 
but the reason he combined them was because he was a notoriously picky eater and he wanted his food very lightly seasoned with only salt and pepper and some parsley. He was like a five-year-old who doesn't like it when his food touches other food. If my peas touch my carrots one more goddamn time, I will probably just surrender to it because that's just what we do. Because of Louis' peculiar predilections, his chefs adopted a system where they would serve salty foods at the beginning of a meal to stimulate the appetite, and then sugary foods at the end of a meal to signify the meal being over. And because he was the king and because he built Versailles, French cooks began copying the king's style, and it changed cooking forever. Continuing to the 18th century, let's head over to Versailles with Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. Yeah, guys, salt started the French Revolution. In France, a tax on salt was called a gabelle, and it was the most hated and despised tax in French history, and it disproportionately affected the lower classes. Can you imagine French food without salt? Well, neither could they. The revolutionaries had enough of the salt tax and began to storm the castle walls, pitchforks and torches in hand. Hearing a commotion, Marie asks her salt-taxing husband why they were complaining, and Louis tells her it's because he raised the tax on salt, and the people were pissed. That's when I imagine Marie Antoinette said, So what? Sugar is still cheap. Let them eat cake. Ah, get it? It's cute. Salt taxes took down more than one empire. When the British started taxing salt in India in the 19th century, people were very upset. This culminated in the 1930 Salt March, led by Mahatma Gandhi, where he marched 200 miles to collect untaxed salt for India's poor. Life before Amazon Prime was brutal. The British Empire didn't last long after that. So, what have we learned, friends? Salt was once the most valuable white powder in the world. Okay, I promise that's the last cocaine reference. Although, the first two letters of the word narcos are N-A. Okay, now I'm done. Salt is responsible for the rise and fall of empires. Salt can allegedly stop poison in its tracks, preserve your dead body, and rid your house of evil spirits. And finally, salt is why you can snap into a Slim Jim and no one will look at you funny. Wait, they're not sponsoring this episode? Damn it. So remember, the next time someone says, hey, can you pass the salt? There's thousands of years of blood, sweat, tears, wars, and money that went into that little salt shaker at the table. Now let them eat crackers. This episode of Green Eggs and Dan History Bites was produced and edited by Jordan Aaron. Executive produced by Jeff Umbro and The Podglomerate. You can find more of their podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. This episode was co-written by myself and my partner in food crime, the Paul Feinstein. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's really important to us, guys. Please do it. If you want more Green Eggs and Dan action, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at StandUpDan. Also, we have a YouTube page where you can actually see me and my guests going through their fridges. Just type Green Eggs and Dan into YouTube, like and subscribe. I promise you will enjoy it. The Podglomerate. A sonic universe. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.